0: Ah, Yahweh, this good time, this right time to share your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom to any that have an ear to hear the words, Father God, but to listen to the message. That you allow me to be your conduit yet again, Father, sharing your word. Father, that whoever is listening, that they would go to your word, go to the Bible and seek your face. Find you, Father God. Come to you and spend time with you. <laughs> Pardon me. So before we go any farther um, on the path and further into sharing of his word, um, I think it's important that I share this with you and the purpose that I have to do this is first and foremost to be about my father's business and to remind any of you that have a desire or a will to do so and make a choice, the opportunity that you have to repent, to ask Jesus to come in and change your life to begin having faith in God, following the Holy Spirit. That tug in your heart is the Holy Spirit. God wants you to be with him. He wants you to be in the family and he wants you to come back like the prodigal son or daughter. And incidentally, that means prodigal living is you just go out and live and do anything you want to do, however you want to do it, wherever you want to do it. And it doesn't matter about everything else and to everyone and everything else be damned. And that's what prodigal living is. Well, this prodigal son begged everything from his father and then took off and left him. And of course, the oldest son stayed behind and was kind of griping and everything when the youngest son came back. But then the father told the oldest son, he said, you grieve me because I didn't do certain things. He said, son, You stayed with me all the time. All you had to do was ask. Sometimes, I've shared this with you before, that there are those that claim to be Christians and believers, they don't even ask God. They don't talk to God. So they don't know, they don't receive, and the scripture actually reminds us that ask not, and you have not. If you don't talk to God and you don't have any of the gifts you want to have certain gifts, you talk to God. And in his righteous will, if what you request is righteous, of course, he's gonna give it to you. It's just like I shared with you about the mountains and the faith, the size of a grain of mustard seed. Okay, metaphorically, And it's given to us as an analogy and a lesson personally. And it's not that God couldn't do it if it was righteous that he do it. And he saw that it was something righteous he should do. God would take a mountain that we see out of the back 40 of where we live or out of the window or whatever. And if it was something righteous for him to do and your request was righteous, he would take that mountain and move it if he had faith to do so. But I believe in my perception in reading contextually the scriptures that we're being taught that those mountains are a metaphor for a lot of things that we push up into mountains that are really not that way. We allow them to become that way and we do so because we have been trifled with by the demons that work for Satan, for the minions that follow his bidding, and they make things appear to be what they are not. Remember that? False evidence appearing real. That's what he's about. So these little molehills that are really something we can step over, We allow them to push up into mountainous obstacles, and then we can't get over around them or by them. And then we have to have faith in God and pray for this. And he takes us by his righteous right hand, his strong righteous right hand, and he walks with us and we pass by the mountain. can be done. It just takes faith. So, What I'm going to share with you, brothers and sisters, I am going to go and I was actually gonna do later and I started I started in my study book and let me share with you that um as an old guy reading sometimes is hard to do and I'm very picky, especially when it comes to individuals that want to declare. Um I have no I have no patience for commentators. I'll share that openly and outright with you that You have commentators that will write books and they declare that they're Christian or that they know what the word of God really means, what it's saying, and what God meant to say when he said. Well, pshaw. I say that's a bunch of malarkey and you don't know what you're talking about and for you to deceive people and lie to them, and yes, I am calling you a liar, and no, I'm not going to mention you by name because that would not be appropriate, but those individuals know who they are. Yes, they do. And they are liars because they're saying that they know what God, it's just like that individual that um, that wrote that book for children. And, and this absolutely blows my mind. And yet there's a person of well-known, a well-known personage that is uh, celebrity status and they just go gaga every time that this person's name is mentioned. And endorsing this book, And the book is, and I will mention it by name, I don't remember the author, but it's written for children, and it's called Conversations with God. And supposedly, the author of this book is, uh, when children read it, there's one for small children that can be read to them, or they can, if they're old enough to read, they can start reading it on their own, and then there's another one for teens, And everything in the book, everything about the book is totally contrary to scripture. And it's not at all anywhere remotely close to what God would tell a person that was relating those particular issues or those problems or those concerns with God. He would not respond to them that way. And how do I know that? Because I read the Bible. I read the true Bible, the truth, that comes from God and I will share with you only his truth, his knowledge, and his wisdom because I asked him to impart that on me so that I could be about his business and speaking truth and be a good guide for people. So this person who is writing these, and again, this is an attack on our children. You have a direct attack on our young children and on those of teen years. And we wonder why there are so many problems going on with our children, because we allow individuals like this to put these books and have them in, it's in a Scholastic book club. I remember uh, Scholastic books when I was a young child. When I was old enough, we used to have a book club and you could buy the books from the Scholastic books. They've been in the school system forever and ever and ever, as long as I can remember. And you could buy a book for a dollar, had Charlie Brown and all kinds of stuff and different kids' stories, Huckleberry Finn and different things and so on and so on. And now this individual has this book and it's being strongly endorsed by this celebrity person. And it's going to our children and it's got a whole bunch of very pointed, pertinent questions that children, probably at the younger age that they're targeting, would not ask, but they're showing it to be And that God tells them that it's okay when it would not be okay. And for the older teens, when they have questions and talk about forgiveness and all this, and God tells them directly that there's, oh, you don't need to be forgiven. There's nothing I need to forgive you for. When the reality of it is, it's specifically that thing that they're talking about. Oh, most certainly does. So I have a problem with this. We have issues that are going on around us. However, here's the thing. We need to be in this word, in the truth, seeking his faith, seeking his truth, his knowledge and his wisdom. And you get it by asking. All you have to do is ask God. Ask Jesus to come into your life. Ask Jesus to come into your heart. Ask Jesus to change your life. Declare that you want to have faith in God. You will have faith in God and that you want the Holy Spirit to guide your steps. It's very simple to do. It really, really is. You can do it here within the next couple of minutes. Just simply, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you to change my life. I want to be changed. I want to show others that I truly, truly believe. I believe that you came and you died for me so that I could do this. I want to have faith in you, God. I believe that you created all things. I believe that you came and and died for me because you love me so much. And Holy Spirit, I want you to guide me so that I will have understanding and show me the way that I should go. In Jesus' name, amen, I pray. It's a done deal. You can go, you can do it on your own. You can go back in your bedroom. You can do it at your dining table. You can do it wherever you feel most comfortable. You can do it with someone. You can do it with a very close friend or acquaintance of yours. And you want to be with them. You can do it with them because you just want to. And it helps you. It helps you to feel comfortable. But just remember this, that I do what I do because... I wanna give you that opportunity. Now, I'm going to be going through some things with you that might seem at first a bit confusing, but I'm hoping to clarify that well enough for you because that's what I'm supposed to do. Not supposed to just share things and leave you puzzled. So, The Bible and scriptures tell us that there are, and explains this, the Bible, I don't know, I've never found an interpretation, I've never read a translation um, that includes the words toxic, but um, it tells us that there are certain individuals that are not good friends, And in our walk of our life, we will know that there are those individuals that are like that. Um, And back to these commentators, I have a problem with them because there's nothing in their books that have any scripture. They're not based on any scriptures and they're constantly trying to tell us what God meant when he said, well, wait a minute, what is the basis of that truth? If God meant to say it that way, why don't you put the scripture down there and let us go and find out? Well, they don't do that because they don't want you to go to find the truth. What they're doing is they're lying and they're trying to make themselves appear to be much more important than what they actually are. They're vaunting their position to make themselves appear to be what they are not false evidence appearing real. And sometimes these so-called commentators on God are just outright, I'm going to say outright stinking liars. Lies have a certain, for me, they have a certain, certain putrid odor. And when somebody is lying, it has that, sent to it, and I know that they're lying. They could be really good at it or appear to be good to some people, but don't look me in the eye and try to get me to believe your lie. Because once I look in, I know. And it has a stench to it. I share that with you because there are things that are going on all around us today and i really like this uh i like this book the spirit of the lord has brought me into this and it's um it's sharing truth and it's giving me a good sense and telling me that this is good and i've just barely started it it's we're not supposed to be really starting it yet but i'm <laughs> i yeah i jumped the gun and i i am just highlighting stuff all over the place, scribbling notes. There's some really good stuff in here. And I really like this one portion that he's sharing. And it's really, really good. And he also talks about somebody else that we have talked about. You recall that I spoke to you about Brother Lawrence, he is that Carmelite monk who is, uh, I believe, is from the 18th century, 17th century. Pardon me. And his name is Brother Lawrence. And here's the thing: let's let's. He was a Carmelite monk. Let's jump on this before we get into the meat of this. Remember what I've shared with you about denominations. This is a way that Satan really likes to stir up derision and derisiveness. And there are individuals within certain denominations, oh, you can't come to our church because you don't dress the way we do. You can't come to our church because you don't worship the way that we worship. You can't worship that way. You have to worship our way. And as I shared with you already, I had a person who, and I'm not sure why, but I felt it was a very confrontational it wasn't it wasn't a godly approach and it's okay. I didn't get confrontational about it, I just walked away. But telling me that I shouldn't worship God and pray in the spirit because I was confusing people. Well, As I walked away and I left, and that person no longer sits anywhere close to me and that's fine. But as I've shared with you already, I have had individuals that speak Greek. I have had individuals that speak Hebrew. I have individuals who speak Farsi and I've had individuals that speak um, Arabic. I'm not sure what they speak in Turkey, but anyway. I've had these individuals that came up and asked me where I learned language. And I tell them, I don't know. What are you asking for? Why are you asking? And they said, well, I heard you praying and I could understand some of the things you were saying there. I could hear you and I understood. So I say that to say this, not to, Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. This is not about me. This is about glorifying God and the Holy Spirit because he delivered that to them. And it was much like Peter when they were in the upper room and they had all those uh, pharisaical Individuals that came up to them and tried to say that they were all had been drinking and they're all drunk, but yet you had all these individuals, a dozen or more, that were from all over, from from other countries, and they came and they could understand what these uneducated men. Well, I can't say that because Matthew uh, had letters of education. Luke was a physician. You had Nathaniel was an architect, and he had some other stonemason. There were, but you had fishermen and other men that were not. They didn't, it's not bad about, they just didn't have the schooling that the Pharisees had. They didn't have letters of appointment that the Pharisees had. So they came in and they blasted them. But wait a second. All these other people could understand everything that they were saying. They said, how can they possibly be drunk it's only the third hour of the day. They can't. They're not. They, there's nothing open for them to drink. And how could they be drunk? We understand everything that they're saying. We're from this place. We're from this place. We understand them. How can you sit there and declare them to be drunk? We understand their words. So, in my worshiping God, I wasn't doing it loud enough so the whole congregation could hear, but those that were sitting in close enough proximity could hear me, they understood what I was saying. That tells me that what I was doing was a good thing. And it tells me anyway in my heart that it's a good thing because the Holy Spirit draws me to that and that's just the way it is. But back to Brother Lawrence, continually practicing his presence. Here is this monk who is from the Carmelite order and this was, in, he is from the 17th century. And again, back to the denomination. It doesn't matter what denomination you're in. It doesn't matter. This is what Christ is teaching us about all coming to the same table. Coming to be brought to the table. And I believe this is the perception that of course, Paul got into it with Peter, but I believe this was the vision that was given to Peter uh, when he saw the giant sheep come down and had all the different animals and the fruits and all this different stuff and there was tied up in it and that God told him and then Peter said, oh, no, I can't do that. It would be unclean. And God said, oh, no, 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 no. Do not call anything that I create unclean. I have created this to bless you with this You can have nourishment. You can have, so he's trying to show Peter and trying to teach Peter that you don't do that. You don't separate. You don't have things apart. If you're going to talk about God, you're going to teach about God, Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit, then you teach everyone and you need to do it that way. You can't teach just one group of people and then walk away from anyone else that wants to hear it. You can't do that. And this is what happens, and this is what Satan takes great delight in, in the denominations, the breaking up of the family. He loves the fact that we have denominations and that we're all declaring certain ways to praise God. And you can't come to our church because you don't praise God the way that we do. And you can't, oh, you can't do that in the congregation because you're confusing people, Uh, except that it's not for the whole congregation. It's just for my prayer and my worship right here, and then explain to me how all these family groups they understand what I'm saying. And it didn't sound like I was saying anything different. And of course, I would it's just heavenly language. But the point that I'm making is that derisiveness comes from the enemy, and that's a delight. And what we need to be about, and this is Continually practicing his presence. Continually praying. This is what Brother Lawrence was talking about when he was sharing, and I shared that in the book. And I'm going to share this, I highlighted here. The practice of the presence of God, the concept of his book that he wrote is straightforward. In everything that we do or in every activity in which we become engaged at at work, whatever you're doing. You have to remember that God is present. And we need to just respond to that. And let him know. And we can begin to pray to him. Giving him thanks for being with us and sharing with us. And brothers and sisters, I've shared this with you before. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to throw yourself down on the ground. You don't have to kneel down and, and you don't have to take, God understands and God, God's a smart God. He knows stuff, he really does. And he knows that we have a job and we can't, do... as a commercial bus driver, I couldn't close my eyes and throw my hands up and pray. And just motor down the street. That would be totally unsafe. People would panic. It would be be pretty ridiculous. And it wouldn't happen. I wouldn't have done that anyway. But I prayed and I worshiped and I sang. I would make up songs. Some songs I I did, I remembered. And some I couldn't remember. So I made up stuff. God likes that. He does. And people would respond to that. So we need to offer that up to him. If you're, whether you're washing the dishes, you're writing a term paper for, you're in a college course or whatever, or you're watching a, a major ball game of some court, just just remember, don't pray for a particular team because, you know, as Joshua's going down in the Valley of Jericho and he says, are you on our side or their side? And the captain of the house of heaven simply said, nay. He didn't take sides, so don't pray for him to take a side for your Mets or whoever you vote for. Just make yourself known to God, I'm here, I love you. I'm glad that you're here with me and spending this time with me. And it sounds simple enough, but in life, there are so many people that making themselves present to God is actually very, very, very difficult for them to do. They find it very difficult to do. I'm My contemplation of that is why? I, I don't know, maybe because I'm old and I'm, I'm actually, uh, I have a retirement issue. I've got medical things that are going on and medication and I don't have to get out and go to work as I used to. Um, so I have time to study and spend time with God. And I think I need to spend more time with him. I don't spend enough time. Um, But this is an important aspect of life. And there are many that simply can't do it. When you talk about meditating on God or meditating on God's word, as the Bible tells us that we should, they start making fun of meditation, you know, I'm not gonna sit down, I'm not gonna do this chanty-chanty thing, I'm not gonna burn incense and, you know. Ooh, humming. That's not meditation. Very, They're trying to make sport and make light of something that is actually something that is, should be a solemn moment in time. Worship and meditation of Abba Yahweh our heavenly father, the Lord God, the creator of all things, the maker of all things made. It just means that you set aside time to concentrate and contemplate on him and him only. You can do it during lunchtime at your hustle bustle job. You find a quiet place where you can go and you can concentrate and focus on him. Pretty simple really. And that's meditation. Meditating on the word of God. You have scriptures that you have memorized and things that you just you can and it can be repetitive. You just continually think on that thing. And remember what Paul writes to us? That we think on all those things that are lovely, think of those things that are higher and all that. Not at all the hustle bustle that goes on around us, but think of those good and lovely things. Think of the blessings that God. Presents to us all the time, every day, all day. There are little things that God puts along our path for us to find and see, and take witness of. I've shared with you the sunsets that He used to put on my rent, and I had I had a spot that where I could park, and it was looking right down across the low part of the valley, and I could see, and there was nothing in the way, and I could just. Look out there and see these beautiful sunsets it was gorgeous and it was as if the whole front window was this big mural painting It was simply gorgeous and the colors some of the colors that I've seen have, have was like nothing I've, he's shown me before and he puts these all along our way but here's the problem there are people that don't recognize that they won't take the time to see it they won't look with spiritual eyesight. They don't listen with spiritual hearing. They just go along and there's so many things they take for granted. I got to get going. Or they're walking along and they got the buds in their ear and they have this thing, they're hooked up to wire and there's a lot of them that have wireless now. And they just walk down the street and they've got their face planted in that little gizmo called a smartphone. I don't know why they call it a smartphone. Quite honestly, it's kind of a dumb phone because there's a lot of things that go haywire and the GPS doesn't work when you're inside of all these tall buildings and um, sometimes the GPS is even incorrect. And then you're distracted from doing the things that you really should be doing and you're distracted by this thing. And you walk into traffic, opposing traffic lights, and then of course you flip the cars off because they honk their horn at you to keep you and get your attention up off the phone and pay attention to what's going on in your walk that you're so fast on getting into. You're either late to lunch or you're late getting back to work from lunch, and then you walk out into traffic. And then what do you do? And I've seen this happen. The cars very close to the guy, they were they weren't exactly being cognitive of what was going on around him. and They look up and here's his... Yabba Dabba has got his suit on with his backpack on and he's got his walking shoes on. He's got his earbuds plugged in and the cord to the phone. and He's walking. He's not even... He didn't even look up and see that the light in his direction was red. And I started to take a step to go to him and stop him. And he had already walked... Stepped off the curb and went out in traffic. And the car honked and stopped abruptly. Close to him, but stopped. And then he flipped his middle finger up at the person in the car because they honked their horn at him. My goodness. My goodness. So we get caught up in this hustle and bustle thing, and that is definitely not practicing the presence of God, but Brother Lawrence writes about this. We have to practice his presence and offer our heart to him. And there are people that, as uh, Brother Violos was explaining, that folks that he's talked to is that one of the most difficult things to do is practicing being present, having his presence there, and just making time for it. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Um, one of the other things that he was sharing and I really like this actually is he's talking about the monastic lifestyle. And you're going to scratch your head because I know that there are probably some out there that don't even know what I'm talking about. That's okay. I'm going to share it with you. Think about it. Where do monks live? Or you also have um, you have They're sequestered. They live in a monastery. You also have, I'm not sure what they call them for nuns. If they call them a nunnery, (laughs) I don't know what they call them for nuns. But they also go and they separate themselves from society and outside culture. And they give themselves to service of God. And they spend their life there. They have regimental life. They have study time, they have prayer time, they have breakfast, lunch and dinner time and they have service where you go and you sweep up, clean up, garden, till the garden, whatever it is that they do for the grounds, for the upkeep and that's what you do and you you have devoted your life and that's you have chosen to live that way and there are some that bail out, they can't finish that up and they don't want to. They made a choice. But individuals are going to say, well, yeah, they live in a monastery. They don't have to deal with all this other stuff. Well, neither do you, actually. And you can practice this monastic lifestyle without having to live in the monastery. And And that word comes, it comes from an old Greek word, monacos, Monakos. monakos. Which means single or solitary, and then the compound part of that is "monos" alone. And you say, "Well, gosh, i I don't want to. I don't want to do it. Well, you don't have to. It's um, it's like where I'm at. Okay, yeah, I I live with my two service dogs, and unfortunately, I don't get a lot of company. Well, it's not so unfortunate, really it's um i would like company but i have company god comes and spends time with me my dogs are really good company actually and i read and other things and but i think the most hurtful part is when you have individuals that will declare themselves to be your friend and that if you need anything you just call them and they'll be right there for shopping or whatever other needs and things, but then they disappear and you can't ever get in touch with them and they don't. That's, see, that's the type of thing that we live in society about. So what do you do? What is to do? Well, here's what I do. I separate from that. I don't get tied up in that and get in my head. This is where Satan loves me to be tied up and bound up, to be attitude with them, attitude with them, attitude with that person, attitude with this person. They didn't even, no, you don't. What you do is you have a forgiving spirit. You have no idea what's going on in their life. I have no idea what happened to them. They just, I can't get in touch. How do I know that they're not in the hospital someplace and their family or their their friends that live right next to them? They don't know me. So am I on a contact list? Fairly obviously not, because they haven't called me up and say, "Oh, hey, you know, Bob wanted me to let you know that that you know he had to go in the hospital and had this done, this done, sir, whatever." But he just didn't want you to worry. None of that was done, and it's okay. But what do I do? Here's the thing that we really need to do, and this is a problem that a lot of people have. When you forgive somebody, you pray for them, and even when they're a toxic and they're at enmity with you, and they're not really your friends, and it's a very toxic relationship, which is harmful, and as scripture will describe them, they're more like a millstone around your neck once well, they drag you to the bottom of the sea and drown you, and you don't want that to happen, so you cut that that socializ- socialistic uh, gathering time with them away. You, you let them go. But you don't, Become an enmity with him. You pray for them because they can repent. Maybe they'll come. It they could come back and say, "Wow, I'm really sorry that that I allowed that to happen." And and I really, I'd really like to come to church. I really miss you, and so forth and so on. That could happen. It might not, but it could. So you pray for them. Continually pray for them. You don't get an attitude, and you don't be confrontational with them, and you don't. So they weren't doing something that they should have been doing or what you thought that they should. So don't let pride, remember that word pride, P-R-I in the middle, D-E. I is right smack in the middle. Don't let that get in the way of prayer for that person. I don't know a lot of you out there. I'm just speaking. Um, some of you that listen and, and uh, pay attention, I, I may know you. Many, I don't know you. But that's okay. And like I said, I shared with you before, they they told me that I'm actually reaching globally. That's very cool. Because I couldn't do that on my own. But what we get so tied up in is we find it so difficult to set our time aside and be apart from all the hustle and bustle. And part of that is because we perceive that as something that we need to be in. We need to be in the midst of that hustle and bustle for our life to mean anything. In order for our lives to matter, we have to be right smack in the middle of go, 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 get, 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 I, 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 me, me, me. No, you don't. Not at all. Not at all and you don't need to be right smack dab in the midst of the hustle and bustle. But there are many that believe that they have to have all this activity in order for lives to matter. Well, I don't believe that's true. Not for one moment. What I do believe is true is that taking time or making time, see, this is this is what God perceives it from us. If we make time for him, we're sacrificing to him because we're making time from what we have established in our lives. And God knows these things, okay? Understand this. This is truth, it's scriptural, and the Holy Spirit guides me to this. I wouldn't share it with you if it wasn't truth. God knows that you have things that you are involved in. He knows you have, But if you make time from all that you have going in your schedule and your day planner, he already knows what's in your day planner anyway. But if you make time for him, apart from that, he honors that sacrifice because to him, that's what you've done. You have sacrificed to him. But then you have, again, as I've shared, you have the the comparative research, and I use quotation marks in that, that's been done by the same individuals with their declaration, I can't live like a monk. I can't give that up. I can't do this. I can't do... Well, you don't have to live like a monk and you don't have... Yeah, there's certain things that you're gonna need to put aside and they make the declaration that they can't live like that. They've never tried. They never even considered it. It's all about me, 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 I, 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 when, 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 let's go, go, go. All you have to do is simply make time to be quiet, And contemplate on God, his love, and worship him, and not being on the go. Giving more importance to God and being with God than being with the guys out or with the girls out. Because when you put more important, more import on being out with the guys or, uh, you know, your wives are going to go out and spend time with the girls. And that's more important than uh, Bible time in the house with the family or having a study time at home. And I mean, and these are sometimes individuals that are even claiming to be Christians. I see it. I have seen it. I've witnessed it. But it's more important for them to have that time. So what they're doing is they're diminishing or they're taking away the sovereignty of God. And then, of course, you're going to have individuals who go What? What? Wait! How can you say that? Well, I can say that because it's true. If you're making yourselves more important, or making someone else more important than God, then you are diminishing His sovereignty. You remember when the spies went into Canaan to spy out the land? It was indeed as God told them a land flowing with milk and honey. And he told them that, and they brought it back. They had, they had grapes that they brought back were the size of pomegranates, and sweet and delicious. And the fruits were the size of, the pomegranates were the size of pumpkins. The water was sweet as if it was honey, and much land for grazing their animals. Everything God had told them was there, except he had some of the spies that went in and they saw the Anhim, which were giants. They were in the line of Goliath. And they saw themselves as grasshoppers and they became fearful. They were fearfully driven. They hid themselves. And then when they came back, they said, oh, Oh, no, 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 no. We can't go in there because we saw ourselves as grasshoppers and they'll smash us. We can't do that. Much of what happens when we do this is because of our perception. Our perception is that it's much more important that I go out with the guys or with the gals, depending on if you're a husband or a wife, and that, that they are more important than any time that you have to offer to God. And hear me when I say this, listen to what I'm saying. You are placing their importance above God and you are diminishing his sovereignty. Whether you like the way I say it or not, that doesn't matter. Your validation doesn't matter. The validation that matters to me most importantly is that that comes from God, my heavenly father. And if I am doing his business and sharing his word, So that others have the opportunity, well, then what I'm telling you is exactly what's being done. You're diminishing his authority. And just like they diminish his sovereignty and his might and his power, they believe that God wasn't big enough to fulfill his promise. That's unfortunate. Don't forget, if you make time for him, he will take time to honor your sacrifice. For God, it is a sacrifice that you're making. And I've got a number of scriptures that I'm sharing with you here from Psalm, because in Psalms, David was a very contemplative person. He took time, he made time, and he wrote poetry, and he wrote songs, he sang songs. And you have to have time apart from hustle and bustle in order to do those things. And he would take time to spend with God. And throughout the book of Psalms, you will find that David Uses that word, and I've shared this with you before. Sila, sila, S-E-L-A-H. The E is pronounced long, which means it's pronounced as an E. Sila, and I've seen that. I remembered. I I was trying to remember why that was so familiar to me, and I remembered that um, when I was younger and I was still playing music. And in orchestrations, I would see that in written music scores. And it was um, at a place where the person is supposed to pause or rest. And you have musical rest, but Sila was written in because this was a time when you had that whole section of chairs, you you know, in the orchestra, you had the first chair, second chair, anyway, you had a whole bunch of people and you could have a horn section that was 10 trumpets long. And um, you had first chair and you had the first trumpet, second trumpets, third trumpets, and so forth and so on. Well, you might've had a point in the score where the first trumpets were supposed to sila. It was not just a rest, it was a pause and they wouldn't play anything. And you had a count and you kept count of the music and you watched the score and you paid attention. And then at the end of your pause or your rest, then you would pick up the horn and then you'd come in again. And certain scores were written that way. Sila is the pause, rest. And I've shared with you, that's when you breathe in Elohim, the breath of God. You breathe in the Holy Spirit. You breathe in that 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 God gives you every morning anyway. Because he does. Don't take for granted life because it's not promised. Scripture tells us that. This is why my response to so many things is Lord willing. But David is a contemplative person. Throughout the scriptures, we will find him using that word sila. Take pause. Rest. Take a moment. Psalm 4.4. Psalm 4.8. Communing with God in quiet time. Psalm 16.7. Meditations. Thinking about the word of God. Thinking about God. That's all meditation is. You don't have to sit with your, in a lotus position and have your, uh, have your, oh, where is it? That's the, uh, the ring finger of each hand touching your thumb in this position and sitting really upright and then you're humming. Um, yeah, that's, that's not meditation. That's, that's a denominational ritual. And it has nothing to do with meditation. Meditation is just applying your thought process to God. Focusing on God. Focusing on God's word. And that's what meditation is about. But David lived a contemplative lifestyle. And we see that word all the time throughout. And he talks about spending time with God. Psalm 18, 1 through 3. Psalm 25, 21. Waiting on God and it's not time for the festivities or you know you're going to have a, a group of people coming in and they're going to party and it's not about that it's that you're waiting on God waiting on God so brothers and sisters this is what we need to be Contemplating on more and more. Is on and about God. And I'm going to share this one with you. I like this because it's it's really good. This is in Psalm 27 actually. A couple things that. David declares things. Um, four. One thing. Have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell on the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You come and you spend time with him. You have questions for him. You ask, you seek him. That's what he means when he says to inquire in his temple. You go into the temple of God giving thanks, worshipful, and you seek him. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. We've shared that word before. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up. He will set me up upon a rock. Now he's talking about Christ. Security and a spiritual foundation that we have in Christ Jesus. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee. Thy face, Lord, will I seek. brothers and sisters this is what we need to practice this is what we need to practice and at the same time'm a flip over here <laughs> and we can find this actually in Luke 18 this is a um, this is a uh, parable that Christ taught and this is this is that comparative shopping thing I've shared with you about and how you don't do that sort of thing because it's not good to do that. First of all, it's not appropriate and Christ teaches against it. And this is part of that um, that leaven of hypocrisy that comes from the Pharisees. So Christ is teaching in Luke 18, 10 through 14, he's teaching about the two men that are going up to the temple. One is a Pharisee and one is a publican. And remember, I've shared this with you before, that a publican is like a, a tax collector or somebody that, uh, or a person that works for the, uh, the government. And how relevant is that, that they didn't like those individuals even then? That would be like a county assessor or any of those people and they're not exactly good people and they do things and they cause other people to lose out or miss out on things or even become arrested. So people had issues with the publicans then, and they have issues with them now. But Christ is teaching about these two men that go up. And you have the Pharisee. And again, this is when he's talking about the practice of Phariseeism and the leaven of the Pharisees to be conscious of that because they're hypocrites. They make themselves out to be something that they're really not. So these two men, and of course, you're going to be able to tell one from the other. I don't know, the publican, they dress kind of, they, they dress kind of nicely. I mean, Matthew did, he had he had money, so he dressed a little nicer than most folks. And then you have the Pharisees, which of course had the little doodad they wore on the head and all that. And they have this, uh, they dress that way because they want to go through the crowd and have everybody step back and move out of their way that's just the facts um, but these two men they go to the temple and you have the pharisee offers up all of these things and he makes his he makes his audacious prayer and he makes it loud enough for people around him to hear what he's saying oh thank you O lord god the maker of all things that i am not like this other man oh wait a second how how is that scriptural? How is that really righteous? Well, it's not. He's thanking God that God made him richer than the other guy and gave him more, and that he's not like this other man who's a publican. Ooh. Publican, it could be a tax collector, it could be any one of those government officials, and it could be just somebody that works in the out in the public. Maybe he runs a public house, which is what they what we would call a bar or a tavern now. And he's thanking God for not making him that way. But then you have this publican, and he is sorrowful and he he thumps himself in the chest and he says oh Father God forgive me the sinner that I am and he won't even lift his head up and he says I'm not worthy Father God I am full of sin forgive me so let me ask you this in the position, and we'll do this uh, that When they left the temple, you had the two went out. Who do you suppose was the one who had the greater blessing? Who do you suppose? Uh, Do you suppose it was the rich guy? Or do you suppose it was the man who came remorseful? Honestly, in coming and presenting himself as a sinner, and you know when he went in, he was he was doing what we've seen later in the uh, in scripture. We've seen what uh, what is termed the the lengthy oblation when he's praying, yeah, thank you, God, that you didn't make me not him. Thank you, God, that, that, uh, you know, like all these others that steal and rob and the adulterers, and that you didn't make me like this publican. And thank you, God, you know, too, let me just remind you, in case you were distracted, that I fast twice a week. And I give tithes of all that I possess. So here's this guy going on and on about everything that he does and reminding God who does not sleep and he does not slumber and he always watches. But here this Pharisee is going to have to come in and he's going to have to remind God or he feels necessary that he remind God of everything that he does and what he's about and comparing himself to this other man who was sorrowful and praying for God's mercy. And what Jesus reminds us is in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other for every one that exalted himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So the man who presented himself and asked God to be merciful to him will receive that mercy. He was repentant and the other man who did nothing but brag about himself and go on about himself. He got nothing. His reward was what he did. And Jesus always makes that point. When they go out and you go out to make a big to do and a big show and you want others to see you, you've got your reward because they saw you. They saw you making a, a, a fool of yourself and a mockery of the Word of God. Brethren and sisters, contemplate these things I've shared with you. Go to the Bible. Seek the truth, because that's all I share with you. You in my prayers, my going out, my coming in. Be blessed.